Hi, everybody. This is Liam. I finished putting together the episode you're about to hear on the night of Friday, December 2nd. Later that same night, a fire broke out at the ghost ship warehouse, killing many people who were just out trying to dance and have a good time. Many people lost friends, neighbors, family members, and are still suffering and will continue to suffer for a long, long time. Let's try to help each other out through this. One of the things that I want to do, and I know this is a small gesture, but is to help people remember the power of music and dancing to bring people together. As you'll hear, that's one of the themes of this episode. I know a lot of us are feeling devastated right now. I hope that listening to this story will help you remember some good memories that you've had on dance floors with your friends that are still here and with your friends that are gone. Thanks for listening. Here's the show. You're listening to East Bay Yesterday, the podcast that looks back at stories from Oakland, Berkeley, Richmond, and other towns throughout Alameda and Contra Costa County. This show is about history, but it's not stuck in the past. Let's begin. Let's begin. There's so many songs that are made. And there's so many songs that just you never hear again ever in life because there's there's millions and millions of songs. And the fact that people are dancing 30 years later to this song is truly amazing that this one song and um, it, it's kind of like, you know, some of my friends say, hey, yeah, come here, Mr. One Hit Wonder. Come here, you know, kind of thing. I was like, well, yeah, well, at least I had one hit, you know, kind of thing. Bam, I was there. <laughs> at least I charted. <laughs> so whatever. That's the voice of Bobby Martis. During the 1980s and 90s, Bobby was in a bunch of movies and TV shows, including Rocky IV, Dynasty, I'm Gonna Get You Sucka. Hollywood Shuffle, and House Party 3. But that's not why I interviewed him recently, up at his house in San Pablo. The reason I talked to Bobby Martis is because he got the chance to experience something very exciting and very surreal last year. Something very few of us could even imagine. He got to relive one of the most exciting chapters of his life for a single glorious night. It all has to do with that song he was talking about a minute ago, his one big hit. And it happened because of a very random encounter at the Oakland Museum. It's serendipity. It's it's things are supposed to happen because they're supposed to happen. Um, you know, without hearing the music, I wouldn't have gone over there without going over there. Today's episode is going to kind of be like the East Bay Yesterday take on VH1's behind the music, except, spoiler alert, nobody is going to OD on heroin and there will be no crashed Ferraris. But keep it locked, because there will be a bonus story at the end of this episode about the time Bobby met the Oakland legend MC Hammer, and that story includes a fun little vocab lesson. I'm Liam O'Donoghue, and you are listening to East Bay Yesterday. 
I grew up in Hammond, Indiana, small town um, near Chicago. While I was um, in Indiana, I don't know, I think I was like eight or nine years old. I was looking at a UCLA basketball game and they did an overview of the school. And they, they showed some shots of women on the beach in bikinis. And I looked out the window and I said, Mom, they're wearing bikinis on the beach in, in, in this winter. And she goes, oh, it doesn't snow in California. And I was like, I'm going to go to that school, which is a really stupid reason for wanting to go to UCLA. But, you know, I ended up at UCLA. Although young Bobby was California dreaming about bikini babes, it was actually his mom's job that brought him out to the Bay. When he was in high school, Bobby's mom got a big job at the Department of Housing and Urban Development. So that's when the family headed out west. Fast forward a few years, and Bobby, who has dreams of stardom, has moved down to L.A. for college. I didn't start off, even though I wanted entertainment in my heart, um, my mother gave me a mandate. It will be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, and I don't want to hear el- nothing else about it. So I was like, all right, all right, I'll dentist. So I entered UCLA's pre-dent, and, um, and it just wasn't in my heart. Bobby eventually ditched the dentist idea. But after he graduated, he had a stack of college loans to pay. So he got a boring office job with the Xerox Corporation. But he was still keeping his dream of being an entertainer alive. After work, he'd leave the office and bounce around from club to club almost every single night, either singing or doing stand-up comedy. Through the comedy gigs, he got to be friends with some rising stars, like the director Robert Townsend and Keenan Ivory Wayans, who would go on to create In Living Color. These guys were hooking him up with some acting gigs, but all this Hollywood hustle still wasn't enough to pay the bills. Then one day, Bobby realized he just couldn't spend one more day in that cubicle. Instead of constantly chasing gigs, he decided that he was going to take a big risk. I was just at a terminal, and, you know, I would be typing. I'm at this terminal, and I was like, oh, my God, my life is over. What am I doing? And I just wasn't fulfilled. And then one day I said, you know what, I'm going to do film. I left Xerox. I took my 401k, and uh, it was funny because my manager walked behind me. I was putting all the stuff in my desk into a box. I was just like, I'm leaving. I'm going to, um, I'm going to H, um, uh, Human Relations, um, and I'm going to get my 401k, and I'm going to do a film. And uh, we all, everybody had headsets in these little cubicles. And when the manager says, Martis, what the hell are you doing? I was like, I can't do this shit no more. I can't. Uh, and, and he's like, and then people just like when EF happens to be everybody you know, listens, they took their heads off and they stood above their little cubicles and they looked at me like, Martis, he's tripped out. Listen, he's having a conversation with the, the manager. He's like quitting. I was like, yeah, I can't keep doing this. I said, I'm not going to be those if I would have, could have, should have guys. I'm doing it now. And if I screw up, so be it. The movie that he ended up doing was a comedy about gang life called Why Colors. Ice-T and Flava Flav were both in it, and the project got picked up by Showtime. His plan worked. The film helped launch Bobby's career as a filmmaker, a career that continues to this very day. Now, 
You might be wondering, what's all this about movies? I thought this episode was supposed to be about music. Okay, I'm getting to that right now. Picture this. It's the mid-1980s. Bobby's still bouncing back and forth between music and comedy gigs. He's making 25 bucks here, 50 there, basically chump change. So he realizes that if he's ever going to make it, he needs a record deal, and he takes the next logical step. So I took these publicity shots with, you know, at the time, uh, I don't know if you can remember Eddie Murphy doing um, his stand-up, and he wore these, these red uh, leather pants. Yeah, and so I got these black leather pants, and they were tight, and, uh, you know, my leather jacket, and, you know, I was younger then, so, you know, I had all my hair, and this, that, and the other, and uh, it was all good. But Bobby didn't just have tight leather pants. He also had a dope voice and industry contacts. So, yes, he did get a deal. I went to my friend, um, his name is Larry Robinson, and he was a producer and he produced a lot of people. He did. He started out with mixes with Michael Jackson and um, Vanessa Williams and all, just all these people. So he, I said, listen, Larry, I need, to, I need to do a record. We need to get a deal. He goes, okay, let's, let's try to get you a deal. So we did some demos and this, that, and the other. This is the part of the story where I need to introduce you to a legendary music producer named Kashif. And remember that name. Kashif, because it's going to come up later again in this story. Anyway, in the 70s, Kashif played keyboards for the funk band BT Express. But in the 80s, Kashif pioneered that synthesizer sound that should pop into your head whenever you hear the phrase 80s dance music. You know that sound that makes you want to shake your shoulders back and forth and like swivel your neck and do the robot? Kashif wrote the song that Bobby Martis would use for his big debut single. The track is called Keep On. I just fell in love with the song. Um, it, it was just, at the time, Kashif had a sound. You know, Kashif was obviously, you know, Evelyn Champagne King, um, Howard Johnson, so fun, blow my mind, you know, all that stuff. I was like, yeah, I, I just like, he was, the, he was the, I mean, he did Whitney Houston. He, I mean, he has a long list of people that he's done. So, um, so the song was just the bright dance kind of thing. And, and I said, I need to come out with that. And we recorded it. It was the shit. We, you know, we're going to put this out. It was great. Unfortunately, Bobby's blossoming career as a pop star was temporarily derailed by a problem involving a guy named Gene who owned the recording studio. And all of a sudden, Gene, um, this is just some crazy music industry story where the FBI put locks on his door and so nobody could get anything in or out. Um, he was being investigated for whatever and my master was inside a place that I couldn't get anything out of. So I'm like, oh my God, we got to start over. Did you ever find out why the FBI was investigating the, the producer that you were working I, with? I think it was just, it was, it was, he was the head of this record company. I think it was just some financial things that maybe he wasn't paying his taxes or whatever. But at that point, we would make a billion calls. What's happening? Why can't we get our stuff? Well, can you just send our master? Can you do this? It was nothing. It was, they ghosted us. Like we didn't even exist. And you never got those? No. So I said, look, 
Larry, we have to do this again because our masters are there. So we went back into the studio and so we started recording. And then um, uh, we came up with a, even a better version of the song. And so it charted, hit the Billboard charts and this, that, and the other. And it did really well in Europe. And, and I had tons of other songs that you know I wanted to do. And then... Um... So why didn't Bobby's career take off after this promising start? If he would have dropped Keep On a few years earlier, he might have blown up more. But by the second half of the 1980s, the music industry was going through a major shift. The more disco-influenced, soulful, boogie tunes exemplified by Keep On were going out of style, and hip-hop was starting to take over, and more aggressive, proto-techno-y kinds of songs were taking over the clubs. A new era of pop music was starting, and it wasn't Bobby's kind of music. You know, all that, uh, the keep on stuff, you know, it was just a sound. And, and even, even after a while, they told Kashif that his sound has changed and it wasn't in, in vogue anymore and this, that, and the other. But then, you know, he, um, when, when new people, new management, uh, the younger generation who get uh, A&R jobs and stuff like that, their perception changed. And so when they see this older guy, it's like, well, your stuff is whack now. It's not as hip. It's not as da-da-da-da-da. So, um, and, you know, he who writes the checks, really, they own the gold so they could do what they want to do. Bobby continued to write and record music, but now it was for his films, not the club. Keep On was his only billboard hit. And all those memories of his brief, leather-clad, brush with stardom might have stayed tucked away in the attic if it wasn't for an Oakland-based DJ named Chung Tech, a party called Sweater Funk, and an unexpected encounter at the Oakland Museum. Coming up next, a one-hit wonder gets to relive his glory for a single sweaty night. Stay tuned. My name is Christina Chung, and my crew is Sweater Funk, and I live in Oakland. Uh, do you want to tell me your DJ name, too? Oh, yeah. So my DJ name is Chung Tech, but I also go by Chungy, so it's kind of both. Like so many DJs who were born in the 1980s, Christina started by taping songs off the radio and making mixtapes, actual tapes, for her friends. Then she started dabbling in record collecting and soon became obsessed. She bought a used mixer and turntables off Craigslist and started spitting at parties all over the Bay Area. Her husband is also a DJ, and when I went to their house in Temescal to interview Christina, their living room was a vinyl junkie's dream come true. Wall-to-wall records, from floor to ceiling. She mostly plays in bars and nightclubs, but one of Christina's favorite places to mix it up is a much different kind of spot. I love the Oakland Museum because it has really become this amazing pillar of community in Oakland. You know, I used to work at the Oakland Museum for a long time. Like, well, not at the Oakland Museum, like a block away. And, you know, it was kind of the place where, like, kids would go on a field trip. Like, there was not, uh, there was no gatherings there. There was no social kind of connection there. It was like this 
in you know in some ways it was a little bit of like an aging museum with California artifacts and then once a year they would have this really awesome Dia de los Muertos you know exhibit or something you know like I I that was my peripheral connection to it you know and uh well I guess there's a there were amazing gems to it but again it was like not everyone knew you know and now on Fridays from 5 to 9 p.m on any given occasion, you're gonna, I'm gonna go run into people. There are babies there, there are old people there, there's everybody in between, there's people coming out from the city, there's people coming straight off, straight out of work to meet up with friends. Like it's, it's a beautiful place. Jumping back to Bobby, he moved up from LA a few years ago because his mom was having heart and kidney problems. She needed her son around to help take care of her. So he packed his stuff and came back to the bay. He was still making films, but life had gotten pretty quiet. My cousin who lives in Oakland says, hey Bob, just come to this museum and they have these, you know, they have the trucks on the side and they, you know, they have the food trucks I was referring to. Mm -hmm. And uh, and there's, a, there's, there's bands, you know, people playing music. And so I was like, hey, you know, I need to, I need to get out. Cue the disco ball because Bobby and Christina are about to make their connection. I bring all vinyl, so people are generally curious about that because sometimes I'll also try to show what I'm playing. So there's, there's, it's, there's always somebody that's got a story. I used to play that, I have, I have that at home, or why are you playing this record? You know, like things like that. And some people come and go, they check in, they check out, they dance, they keep moving, you know, all of that. And um, there was one Friday when I was DJing and this guy comes up to me, he's probably in his like early 50s, and he really was super curious, like amused, but confused, like who is this person, this Asian woman playing records? It was surprising to hear the music, and it was surprising to hear from her, and you know, we're stereotyping, you know, Asians, but, uh, but, but a lot of, there's a lot of hip-ass Asians, and she was one of them, and I was like, oh my God, she is, she's just cool. Bigger than race, it was her age, and, and I was like, well, when did you start listening to this kind of thing? And, and plus, when you talked to her, too, she was just cool. I, I just... Uh, I like what she was playing, and it's, it's kind of like, what, what do you know about some this, that, and the other? <laughs> and she knew a lot about it. So we started talking, and, um, you know, I was trying to explain to him. I'm like, oh, you know, there's a, there's a whole culture or subculture, whatever you want to call it. There's a whole audience of people who have really taken this music and have, you know, in some ways revived it or, or really are, are engaging with this music on a regular basis. So I was trying to tell him about Sweater Funk. It was just like, no... Since a lot of you listeners probably have no idea what sweater funk is either, I'll let Christina explain. Sweater funk is a weekly party that we've been doing for the past eight years, every single Sunday. So it's like 400 Sundays and counting. We do have a kind of, you know, focused sound on an era before, after, and during the 80s all the way to now um, of, you know, modern soul, modern funk, boogie, um, think, you know, music that kind of fits in what we kind of know as those terms now. We don't just play radio hits. We are a bunch of nerds who, who dig deep. The way I discovered Sweater Funk is that back when they first started, they used to throw parties in the basement of the Lipo Lounge, which is considered to be the oldest dive bar in Chinatown SF. I used to DJ parties at the same spot, so I hung around there quite a bit, and I was always amazed that this Sweater Funk crew was able to get people to come all the way up to Chinatown on a Sunday night to listen to obscure 80s tunes. But they're still doing it after all these years, 
which just proves how incredibly dedicated they are to keeping this music alive. I'm trying to explain to him, like, this is what we do. This is what I play all the time, you know? So I was trying to see what, whatever things I could put out to him that maybe he would know from today. Um, yeah, no, no bells ringing, nothing. But, you know, he could tell that I knew this music. Like, I was playing, you know, his songs. And so um, he asked if I knew this artist, Kashif. And I said, I, I was so excited that he said Kashif because I love Kashif. Every night is Kashif night at Sweaterphone. So when he asked about Kashif, that was such a great, like, yes, like we are talking the same language now. We, that's, a, that's the sweet spot, you know? He said, tell you what, tell you what, when you get home, look this up. So he took out a business card and on the blank side, he wrote something and then he just handed it to me. Kind of because he was getting ready to like move on. I was getting ready to transition the record. So um, instead of just putting it in my pocket, I just took a you know glance at it. All he wrote was Kashif, and then he wrote Keep On. And the first thing that came to my head was Keep On. Like I know that song and I really like that song, but I don't, that's not a Kashif song. That's by another artist. And so I looked at the card and said, huh? You know, Keep On, the only song I know called Keep On is by Bobby Martis. And then he, like, he looked at me real crazy. And when she said Bobby Martis, I was like, wait a minute. So I pulled out my card. He said, flip over the card. And then it said Bobby Martis or Bob Martis on the card. So then I looked at him crazy, like, whoa, my goodness, what's going on here? So that was him. It was Bob Martis. And Kashif wrote that track. Like, if you, if you listen to Keep On, it is... It completely it is the Kashif sound. It's a, it's a signature sound of his at that time. For all you listening right now who aren't crate diggers, a.k.a. super dedicated record collectors, here's something that will help you understand this hobby a little better. Collecting records isn't just about owning this or that slab of vinyl. It's about the thrill of the hunt. Tracking down rare, holy grail records is an adventure that brings you to flea markets, estate sales, and lots of sketchy basements. It's also about solving mysteries. Here's Christina again to explain what I mean by that. Bobby Martis, I'd never heard any other song by him. I never knew if there was an album. And, you know, if there's a song that we really like, we'll kind of do check further. Like, okay, are there like secret cuts? Are there other songs? Are there other labels? Is there an album? And it was always kind of this mysterious song. It took me meeting him to realize like, yeah, that's a, that is a Kashif track. That was such a special moment because for, for us at Sweater Funk, you know, we play this music to an audience that isn't Bobby Martis's generation. It's a new, it's a younger generation, you know? And so I, we exchanged contact information and I told him, I'm like, you have to come to one of our events. I, I want you to see, I want you to hear, I want you to know, like, this is what we really love. Coming up next, how this funny coincidence led to a surreal night of partying. Hey, yo, Swanapone family, I want to give a shout out right now to Mr. Bobby Martis. Bobby Martis in the house, known for Keep On on Profile Records. It's his only record. It's a dopey shit out there. Motherfuckers dancing right next to you.
for those of you out there who are, say, in your 30s or later, imagine getting the opportunity to relive one of the most exciting moments of your youth. If you are an athlete, maybe this was the time you won the big game. Or maybe it's something a little more ordinary. If you scroll through the comments on almost any old song posted on YouTube, so many of the responses are something like this. I remember dancing all night to this song with my friends when I was younger. I miss those days. They were the best. A writer named Mark Slutsky wrote a really touching article about this phenomenon a few years ago. Here's an example of one of the many sentimental comments he dug up. This is one from a commenter talking about the Archie song, Sugar, Sugar. Quote, I love this song. I remember when we used to roller skate to 45s at Bushkill Park. This is the one I used to fly around the rink to. That was when I was younger, and my leg was not messed up. End quote. Of course, most of us never get an opportunity to do anything that even remotely resembles reliving our glory days. But Bobby Martis did. Um, she sent me an email and said, hey, look, we're giving a... Um um, it was like a, was it a sweater party? Or sweater funk? funk. Sweater funk. Yeah. It was a sweater funk party. Do you want to come? I was like, what the hell? I don't know what a sweater funk party is, but I'll, I'm coming. So I emailed her back and said, I'm going to be there. And it was really sweet because Bobby did show up and he brought a date and he was dressed real nice. And we we're all so excited to see him. Just a quick point of clarification. Bobby told me that he did not bring a date. The lovely lady with him just happened to be somebody he met on the dance floor. Then she introduced me to all her friends and, you know, people were coming on. Then she went on the, the speaker and said, Bobby Martis is here. Then she played my song. And uh, I, at the time she played it, I was dancing with this girl. And um, I said, oh, oh. Uh, then I said, oh, oh, that's my song. And the girl looked at me like, shut up. And, then, and I said, no, that's my song. And then, uh, so I didn't try to convince her. I was like, okay. You know, so we just kept dancing and stuff. And when, um, either Christina or whoever announced me again, then the girl says, oh, I guess he wasn't lying. That is his song kind of thing. Y'all having a good time. Make some noise one time. Yeah. You know, we go by the name of Sweater Funk. It's a sound, it's a feeling, you know what I mean? And we see y'all feeling the energy. Y'all feeling the energy one time? Hey, we loving that. Hey, this record right here, the man that made this record. A legend in the house right now, Bobby Martis, man. Make some noise for him. We were on the dance floor, so really it was like we're dancing and he saw, like, I think that's, it was one of those things like you don't have to explain anything any further at that point because our language is music. It was like it was like one of those things like we got to kind of check check in with him and chat with him. And then throughout the night, we're just like the night just keeps going further. You know, I would assume that half the people in there weren't even born, <laughs> whatever. But I mean, for them to groove on something that was done, you know, 30 years later, uh, earlier was uh, it was like. Oh, my God. You know, so it's, it, it's kind of like, you know, and everyone wants to know that they've done something that people remember. It was just a fun night. In the big picture, that's all this really was. Just a fun night. But, you know, 
Sometimes that's exactly what we need. Music brings up things in your mind, and it, it, it sets memories of time periods and, and all the different things that come out of your, you know, music, is it the endorphins or whatever it is that creates a feeling. And if that can create a good feeling, then you're doing a service. You're keeping people sane. Because people work in nine to five every day, and it's they, they let their hair down if they have hair or whatever. You know, what the bottom line is, it's like, give me an escape. I need to escape all this. I need to escape Trump. I need to escape all these things. And if for three hours or four hours you can go to, even if it's a dive, it's all good. Bobby is currently working on a documentary called Black male, endangered species. He's helping to take care of his elderly mother. He's using credit cards to finance his film projects as he tracks down investors. In other words, he's dealing with the kinds of stress that all adults deal with in one way or another. But for that one night at the sweater funk party, he got to let it all go and dance like you do when you still have your whole life ahead of you. You know tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to go right back to that computer and you're going to work on those business plans. <laughs> you know, it's like, so let me just deviate one night and, and live for yesteryear and then come right back to work. Christina, she single-handedly got me into a club after five years or whatever. <laughs> Uh, and, it, it, and it felt good just to be there because you, you think back. It's like, oh, yeah, all these people dancing. I remember some people, you know, you, that was your time. That was, and then when you hear your music, you know, all of a sudden you think you're younger than you are. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, hey, I must be the cat. There are a few other things I want to drop in before wrapping up this episode. First... I need to say rest in peace to Kashif because he passed away earlier this year. He made some incredible music, and clearly his legacy will live on. Second, Bobby Martis has stories for days. When I went over to his house to interview him, I thought we were going to talk for maybe 30 minutes tops. I ended up hanging out there for hours. He told me so many insightful and or hilarious things that have absolutely nothing to do with East Bay history, but he did drop this funny little story about the time he interviewed MC Hammer, and I'm going to share it with you all right now because everybody in Oakland knows you can never pass up a good Hammer story. I shot MC Hammer at his house, and uh, it was funny when I was shooting MC Hammer, he gave me this address. So I'm, I pull up and, you know, I push the button and uh, all of a sudden this other car pulls up behind me. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That, and then the gate opens, but it was Hammer. I said, I thought you lived here. He goes, no, I live here, but, I, but people like you, this is the address I give. And so this is my house too, but I live around the corner. And you, you, you won't get that address. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so he had this, this, this truck. I was like, What's up with that truck? It was looked like a Fred Sanford truck. I said, what's up with that? He goes, that's my underbucket. And I was like, okay, I don't know that term. So what's the underbucket? He's like, when I drive through the neighborhoods, I drive in that truck. But if I get in my bins or whatever, I take my girl out, I drive this. And so I don't want to be jacked in the neighborhood, so I drive the underbucket. I was like, I get it. That makes sense. Duh. You know, kind of thing. You can't touch this. 
All right, that's it for this episode of East Bay Yesterday. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Liam O'Donoghue. Keep on sinking chills down my spine. episode i want to thank cita bauman and victor chavez for introducing me to christina chong and making this whole story possible and of course bobby martis google him and check out his film projects as always i want to give a shout out to everybody who's working hard to keep oakland history alive through projects like the oakland wiki the oakland heritage alliance the oakland cultural heritage survey and of course the local history room at the oakland library The East Bay Yesterday website is still a work in progress, but to see photos for this story, follow East Bay Yesterday on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this episode, please share it with your friends and followers. Music for this episode was provided by Bobby Martis and Kashif, Boogie Corporation, and Rhythm Bass Lovers. Also, I use some clips from the Sweater Funk SoundCloud page. I highly recommend checking them out online and in person. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment or a rating. It means a lot. If you have feedback on today's show or you want to suggest a topic for a future episode, drop me a line on a social media channel of your choice. Also, as we all know, Hammer has been around the world, from London to the Bay. But he ain't got nothing on Bobby Martis, who has been traveling the globe interviewing jazz legends for an upcoming documentary. You know, I've done 206 legends all over the world, from Paris, Brussels, Amsterdam, and Turpin, Rotterdam, Rome, Pisa, Venice, Florence, uh, Verona, from Canada, Tokyo, and then from, obviously, from New York to here. You can't touch this.